You and are the Yoda of abdominal tumors. I have been so geeky this week, you guys. This is serious business. We have taken off our person suits, and this is serious business, the drunkest, nerdiest podcast on the planet. My name is Rob, and today, today we're taking a brief detour from our usual summer movie focus, a well-deserved detour to uh, a show that's been near and dear to some of our hearts, uh, Hannibal, which has just premiered uh, its third season two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, as you can tell, uh, I'm joined by Kristen uh, this week, who appropriately is cooking. <laughs> and I hear what I believe to be uh, onions. Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, well, we'll get to, well, it's only Kristen and I this week, which uh, we are the Hannibal fans of our podcast. So let me start with an opening question, and maybe we can speak to a little bit of what you're doing in the kitchen today as well. In honor of Hannibal, what is the last meal, or that doesn't even have to be the last meal, what is a meal that had a particularly strong impression on you in adulthood? Because I know that for me, I was a very picky eater uh, as a child, but my horizon of, of cuisine has really expanded in uh, early adulthood here. So what's something that uh, you've enjoyed that you've never would have had as a child? Okay, well, I grew up in a small town, so there isn't really, you know, a lot. Uh, it was basically like pizza or Chinese food. So going to school was kind of a big deal <laughs> for me. And so actually we had like this kind of social mentor program at school. So for incoming freshmen, like, there'd be a group of us assigned to, I don't know, like a camp counselor, essentially, and they would, you know, once a month or whatever, take us out and, like, show us around Boston a little bit. And so, and it was up to them what we did. And mine took us to an Ethiopian restaurant. Oh, God, I'm already crying. Um, Chopping <laughs> 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 uh, onions, no joke. So we're going to this Ethiopian restaurant. It's called Addis Red Sea. I hope it's still there. I was looking at the menu. I had no clue what any of the words were. And already planning, like, where I'm going to get pizza on my way home. But <laughs> but the meal I had was so incredible. And I brought so many people back to that restaurant during my four years at school. There, there would be a protein and then, like, different types of lentils, chickpeas, whatever. Mm, um, right. And, and you eat it with, like, they give you, like, this kind of pancake it's like if you took a pancake and an english muffin like it's got that kind of texture of an english muffin but soft like a pancake and you like rip strips off and pinch the food and eat it um this sounds kind of belittling but it's a little bit like baby food because it's all like kind of mushy um right but it's very comforting and so good and like there are ethiopian places in new york city but i like don't know what to order still so i would kind of just go off of the menu but anyway um that was when I first realized that, you know, there's different types of food out there. It took me forever to, like, find Indian and Thai food, but eventually that too. But I yeah. think Ethiopian really is the one that opened my eyes and got yeah. me to experiment stuff. I don't, I can't claim to have ever tried Ethiopian yet. I'm sorry so. I failed you. <laughs> yeah, where where was my invite during yeah. school? I remember <laughs> that. So I'm guessing, and this is an educated guess... Or just a shot in the dark, really. Uh, you're not making Ethiopian food today. No. Oh, God. I wouldn't even know. Like, there are certain, like, um, although I could probably could at some of the grocery stores around here. But, like, there's some ingredients that, like, they don't have. Like, whatever, mm -hmm. um, like, I don't know, thickening agents or yeast-like substances that they have that are just hard to find mm -hmm. in 
North America. Yeah. yeah so, no. <laughs> I am making sausage risotto. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that sounds delightful as well. It's crazy good. Um, and are you, uh, you doing a little bit of drunk kitchen over there? Are you get, have have the obligatory glass of wine or something? I am currently making myself. Uh, there's this thing called Owl's Brew, which is like a tea mixer. Mm -hmm. So I'm pouring some gin. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> happy it's Sunday, y'all. Yeah, much more. Uh, Elaborate than I suspected. I thought you would just have uh, a little bit of wine, but that sounds great. I actually, I've been I've been drinking more tea lately, so that sounds like something I'd want to try. It's like a, it's like an ice twisted tea. It's really good. Ah, cool with gin. Interesting. Okay, so for me, I think I think my big plunge into like a different world of cuisine, or at least an openness to to different uh, cuisine, and it's far less exotic than yours, was just oysters. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I did not want to try one, and I had a friend sort of corner me into it. She thought I would love it, and ended up I did, and that sort of, you know, I still love oysters, but that sort of like broke the barrier down in terms of uh, bravery and trying new stuff, and mm -hmm. that was sort of the moment where I was just like, you know what, it's okay to try a thing, and... You don't have to love it, if, you know. That's disappointing. But at least say you try. I tried rabbit the other week. Oh, I didn't love. I, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. But I'm glad to say that uh, I had it. I gave it a shot, and I was excited about it. I would perhaps order it again, maybe in a way that wasn't. It wasn't prepared uh, the way I had it. But you know, How did you uh, have it? it was weird. It was like, it was like bacon wrapped, huh. um, and. It was accompanied by a few other things that I, it just didn't gel together well as as a dish. It all tasted sort of fine on its own, but it, it wasn't like a wow moment or anything. Yeah. I wish I had maybe had a more traditional uh, rabbit uh, <laughs> preparation instead. But anyway. There's a uh, burger place near me. Uh, well, Bear Burger, I mean, it's expanding all over the place now. Um, but they, you know, besides like turkey and beef, they have uh, ostrich burgers um, and I had a, I've tried that, it's fine. Um, then they had a boar one, which, mm -hmm. Ooh. it tasted like a hot dog, which, oh yeah, a boar is a pig. <laughs> I probably should have seen <laughs> that one coming. But, yeah, different types of meat are definitely interesting. Yeah, I've had shark in the past. Ooh, uh, nice. That was cool. That was, like, really young, actually, when I had shark. I was mm -hmm. visiting Florida. Turns yeah. out, not very distinct taste yeah. uh, to shark. Kind of bland, actually, so... <laughs> Yeah, you just never know. I uh, encourage our many listeners to go off their usual comfort zone next time at the restaurant. And today, it is a little early here, but I did realize that's National Bourbon Day today. Oh, yeah. uh, so I did pour a little bit and uh, added some ginger ale. Just in solidarity of all the people, you know, celebrating National Bourbon Day and think they're doing it all alone. Nope, I'm right here. I'm doing it with you. Um, here for the podcast. So Hannibal... Hannibal is uh, based off the, is it Thomas Harris books? Yep. Uh, and it is uh, showrun by uh, Brian Fuller. Brian Fuller, who I don't know his other credits. Actually. What? Oh, my God. He did Pushing Daisies and Dead Like Me and... Oh, jeez. Um, oh, God. That makes a lot of sense. And now, Wonderfuls. Actually. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, Brian Fuller has uh, had a lot of cult favorites in the past, which Hannibal is weird because it, I watching it feels... 
kind of like a cult favorite. Kind. It's a show with a very, very devoted following, but not a very large one. Yeah, and like every, <laughs> and every season ends, there are like cancellation rumors, if I'm not. Maybe not. Maybe it was after season one, mostly. But uh, I do remember there was a time where it, we weren't sure if Hannibal was coming back. Mm-hmm. Now that Mad Men's off the air, and <laughs> honestly, now that uh, I've been watching this new season, it is the most gorgeous thing on television right now. Like, if you're just interested in cinema, really, and God, it's just so studied with its production design and. It demands to be watched in HD, and it does. You have to if you want to see what the hell is going on. Yes, yes, and I realize that with this because I watched one of the earlier seasons in standard definition, and then uh, (laughs) when I put in this new season, and which takes place in Italy, and it just takes such wonderful uh, advantage of all the little cows there, and you're just like, oh my god, this is like the most gorgeous travelogue I've ever watched. (laughs) So. So yes, so the the Thomas Harris books, we all know the story, you know, Silence of the Lambs is is a classic movie, but this takes place, is a prequel to Silence of the Lambs, and a prequel to even some of the other Hannibal movies. So it's weird, it's its 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 own retelling of the Hannibal Lecter story, which includes uh, Will Graham, who is the first sort of um, lead investigator before Clarice. I mean, Hannibal is not in jail. He is out and about. He is a practicing psychiatrist when we meet him in, in season one. And now in season three, we meet him in a very different space due to the crazy events that happen at the end of season two. So we are going to spoil probably the, the whole show up until this point. We are two, season, two episodes into season three. So spoiler warning for all of you who want to catch up with Hannibal. So before we jump into season three, let's... A little context because we haven't talked about the show as a full episode yet, but let's talk about what we're expecting with the show at all because it is so remarkable. I mean, I remember hearing the news that Mads Mikkelsen was going to be Hannibal on a television show, and I kind of like flipped because I love I've loved him since Casino Royale as uh, Le Chiffre, the bad guy. And I'm not crazy about like the Hannibal movies as story. I haven't read any of the books. But were you, like, drawn in immediately, Kristen? Was this an interest of yours, or Um, did you just give the show a shot? So, I read the books at an early age. Um, I just reread them, actually, and I missed some stuff the first time. Um, (laughs) But uh, my mom wouldn't let me rent Silence of the Lambs until I read the book. Um, I guess just, I don't know, if you can make it through the book, you can watch the movie. And so I called her at work and said, you know, (laughs) stop at the video place on your way home. There were still video stores around. That's how, that's when I was reading it <laughs> for context. But anyway, so I'd read all the books except Hannibal Rising. I don't acknowledge Hannibal Rising as part of the canon, which is cheating, but meh. So anyway, I, you know, had seen all the movies and read all the acknowledged books. And so when I heard that they were making a TV show, I was like, what fresh hell is this? And I was just like, this this is unnecessary, especially because the last thing we'd had was Hannibal Rising, which was just stupid. And so I, w- I had no interest in it. Um, but then a blogger that I like and trust, Cleo Linda, I talk about her all the time, was started watching it. And she just loved it. And so I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I actually started in the middle of the season because that's what was available streaming online. And so I actually started with, I think, episode seven. And that's, mm. that's when Hannibal throws his dinner party. Um, mm, mm-hmm. And so that was the perfect episode to start on because it is one of the funniest episodes. 
And, like, that's part of the key to the show is, like, if you think it's serious, it's not. Like, it's actually very darkly comedic. Yeah. And that is, like, one of the best examples of that, which is, like, this whole montage of, like, the FBI, like, trying to find this guy. Meanwhile, he's just, like, happily cooking up a storm in his kitchen. By the way, I just cut the sausage casings off some Italian sausage just for atmosphere. So that was the perfect... And then I went back and watched the rest of the season, but that was how I got into the show and then was madly in love with it. So I watched the, like, last couple episodes of the first season live, and then I watched season two. I watched it on NBC.com the day after because I want them to count me watching it so that they know that I'm there. Yeah, yeah. And they keep renewing it. Yes. So that's how I came to the show as a big, you know, Hannibal Lecter fan. Um, Interesting. And I'm just realizing I forgot to watch Manhunter before we recorded this. It's on Netflix. I'm such a... Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, Manhunter is uh, pretty different because Manhunter happened before Silence of the Lambs, and it's not a big Hannibal Lecter part of the story either. Yeah. Like, he's not... It's more of a Will Graham story. Well, that's how uh, Red Dragon is. Like, Hannibal, I right. think, only shows up, like, on screen, you know, in the book, like, twice. <laughs> Or maybe just yeah. once. And so Thomas Harris is writing kind of a straightforward mystery novel or like right. thriller. And then just this other character like held sway. And a little spoiler for the books is that um, at the end of Red Dragon, it, it's very similar to the movie, the very mediocre movie. Except that when Francis Dollarhide attacks Will, he like fucks up his face. Um, oh, jeez. Like he, you know, stabs him and like he disfigures him. Um, and... Will's married at this point, but his wife has already been, you know, scared because they've been run out of their home and everything. And so she's already kind of like on the run a little bit and not crazy about this relationship. And mm-hmm. so she leaves him. In Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> Jack Crawford, who is in all three books, um, You're right. he's talking to Clarice and he mentions Will and says like, you know, Will Graham, you heard of him? And she thinks like, oh yeah, he's like that drunk, you know, outside of Baltimore. And that is the last you hear of him. That is such a ruthless. I know. Um, <laughs> such a ruthless disposal of like a lead character. Yeah. That I've so that I've bleak. heard. Yeah, it's really bleak. I love um, it. <laughs> let's see. Uh, well, like I said, I I was jazzed when I heard that uh, Mads Mikkelsen was going to be in Hannibal. But like I'm like I said, I'm not a Hannibal fan, and I think I could trace this back to school, which is. Uh, Weird, since you mentioned school earlier. Uh, in if you ever take a screenwriting course, oh, yeah. uh, Silence of the Lambs is like just one of those movies that gets pounded into you because it's because it hits so many of those like beats that we always hear about. It's like oh, like you know the the girl gets captured at like minute fifteen on the dot, and it's just like I don't care about that necessarily, but it just it just gets rammed down your throat so much that. I started to resent the movie. <laughs> oh, it's a good movie, though. It is a good movie, and I, whenever I bring up my my beef with it, everyone's like, "Oh, that's weird." I'm like, "Yeah, I know it's weird, but." Well, if you uh, watch it and hear about it all the damn time, like, no, I get it, but it is yeah, such a good movie. It is such a good movie, and like, it's oh, God, God, it's an Academy Award winning movie. It's the last it, movie of of its kind, I think. That it won, won the Big Four. Yeah, yeah, it won the Big Four, and I have to say too, like, I don't. It, as a horror movie, I don't find it particularly... Uh, it's unnerving throughout, but Hannibal's escape in particular is, like, very scary. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think sort of, like, the centerpiece of the movie, um, even more so than capturing Buffalo Bill at the end. So, 
Yes, I came I came to the idea of a Hannibal television show with some baggage, but the <laughs> idea idea that it was a prequel before he got captured and it it was like I said Mads Mikkelsen, I was like, "Oh, this is this could be interesting." And then uh, I had a friend who watched the pilot and he was like, "You have to watch this show just on the way that it looks. Like they don't shoot it like television. They're shooting this like it is a movie in like many many installments and they're I mean there's got to be a very high budget for cinematography and production design because it looks so amazingly gorgeous the way that it's edited together, the way that they use inserts for not just the cooking, but also the violence and like the, you know, the interior life of some of the characters and the dream sequences. Mm -hmm. It's just so elaborate and convincing and good. And like, I think more than anything else about the show, that's what kept me watching once I first, you know, started. And uh, are you, something's sizzling over there. <laughs> yeah, I'm cooking up the sausage now. It's very abstract in a lot of the inserts, which um, covers up a lot of the violence, which I like. It's, you know, it's a good level of violence for me that I can handle. Like, a lot of the gore is, or a fair amount of it, is off screen. Yeah. Um, there, there's so much eyeball stuff that just drives me up the wall. I hate that. That's like my main squint, is just don't leave people's eyeballs alone. <laughs> seven, that one that I love, you know, like how they convey that Hannibal's going on a killing spree is he takes out a recipe card and then a business yes. card and then yep. just meat appears and like all the stuff in between they don't show. I um, love, I love how much trust the show places in the audience for stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you know, it is, it's a show that's mature, not only in its visual language, but also it's, you know, it's, it's literature, it's, it's scripts, it's, it's storytelling, it, it does not beat you over the head with like exposition or anything like that. Everything is very. It, it expects you to pay attention and to uh, keep up with everything, which I, you know, which is it, it feels like almost like prestige television, like we talk about. Um, it feels it feels like very much a uh, product of that, and it's great. It, the show is so much better for that too. God, it would be so, it would be so bad if this was like CSI with Hannibal Lecter. Right. Hannibal as like its hero, um, and just like the aesthetic nature of it. It's going by Hannibal's aesthetics. The look of the show is an FBI, the look of the show is like a steep semi aristocrat. Right. <laughs> That's the look right. it's going for. And yeah. It's like so Baroque and beautiful. I'm probably using Baroque wrong, but um. No, no, I think that's a that's I think that might be accurate. And I think <laughs> Yeah, God, there's such a it look it, it's it's punctuated so hard in that look that there's almost like there's a weird like time warp that you're in and even now that they're in Italy it's even more it's just like I don't know it's not it's not one of those shows where they're like well we got to triangulate his his cell phone and you, oh, know, yeah. do all, you know what I mean like it's there's a a weird timelessness to the space where the characters are living in where it's like oh like. Uh, it looks like an oil painting, but yeah. like it's modern day, and it's it's. I I love that sort of like that blurriness yeah. to the narrative. Well, dream logic gets thrown around a lot, but like even oh, just yeah. looking at screen grabs before I started watching this, like I thought it might be you know an actual prequel and set in the seventies, just based on its suits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then a cell phone came out, and I went, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Modern. Which is going to I be think, interesting because part of Hannibal in the books, his backstory has to do with World War II, so I don't know how they're going to do that, but that'll be the season. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Maybe they'll, they'll just move it up to another 
war or something. I don't know. I don't a know what the detail is. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I, I'm drawn to something you mentioned earlier about season three. I binge watch the first two seasons to catch up because I, I caught up after season two had ended. How? Uh, because it's kind of hard to get streaming. Um, I pay. I oh, I paid for it. Oh, good for you. Well, I knew that it had. I liked it, and I knew that it was sort of had uh, not great numbers. Right. So I Thank wanted you. I to <laughs> show my support, and I. I generally I pay for almost everything that I watch. I just want the NSA to know that as they're <laughs> listening in. So yeah, I binge watch, and I have to say, like, season two in particular. I don't, like, I remember characters and I remember certain storylines. I don't remember, like, there's a, a flashback in the in the latest episode to the end of season two. And I'm like, oh, okay, I, I remember this happening. Obviously, it's the climax of the entire season. And I'm like, I don't really understand a lot of this show. <laughs> I don't really know what's going on. There's, like you said, there's a lot of dream logic that's going on. There are there are abstractions, and there's the relationships between these characters, between Will and Hannibal in particular, is very nuanced and doesn't always. It's it's constantly revealing itself in in strange ways, and part of that is I think due to the headiness of the show, and part of that has to do with the fact that, like you said, it's very mature in its approach. It doesn't hit you over the head with stuff, and I don't. I, uh, I don't always know what's going on. I don't always know how people feel about Hannibal, why people are trusting Hannibal, mm-hmm. how well, how Hannibal isn't always arrested. And I have to say that it's probably due to my binge-watching, but there is also like a very sort of dense and sort of subtle way that it deals with how people feel about Hannibal in the show, correct? Am I wrong? Well, or am I just stupid? No, no, you're not stupid. It is, it's that problem, the classic problem of the people in Dracula don't know they're in Dracula. Right. And so, like, we'll go spend the night at Dracula Castle. What could possibly, because they don't know, because <laughs> they don't live in a world where Dracula exists. So there is that, especially with, like, Alana, there's kind of a lot of, sh- in season two, where she's hooking up yeah. with Hannibal, and you're shouting at the screen, like, what the fuck are you doing? But right. she's always known him to be a mentor. And what Brian Fuller says is, like, to her, he's Fraser Crane. Um, right. And and I think part of it, too, is, like, Mads Mikkelsen's portrayal, he's always wanted to portray Hannibal as the devil or a demon. Like, right. he's actually something otherworldly. So you can you can kind of read into, like, a sort of, like, he's kind of put a glamour on other people, and so they kind of can't see him because he's being very careful about how he's perceived. So that's how he's kind of getting away with it in the first two seasons. Um, yeah. And also, Will is just like constantly like the one only one who's really blaming him for stuff is constantly like crying and sweating all the time. So he's not exactly like reliable. <laughs> like <laughs> can he looks talk- crazier than Hannibal. So yeah, uh. can we talk about Will Graham and Hugh Dancy a little bit? Because sure. as you know, I've uh, I've expressed to you, I am not uh, a Will Graham fan. Uh, he is like he is the lead character, and like I'm not I don't hate every time he's on the screen, obviously, and I do root for him in, on occasion. But he is like the precious genius boy of this show, and he is you know constantly on the edge of tears mm-hmm. and just coddled by a lot of the other characters. And uh, I don't know I don't find it as as endearing as I think the show wants me mm-hmm. to find it, but. He, I mean, the relationship between him and Hannibal is such a, is, I think, what has drawn, like, that cult 
fandom to the show and like the many layers and the you know there's I don't I don't even know how to put it but there's there's a, a, a <laughs> yeah yeah well there's that for sure but uh, there's such an empathy for Will in the fandom that I. I, I don't have the patience for when I'm watching the show. But, but you, so are you, what do you want to happen? Do you want him to get at or? I want him, I don't know. It's such a weird show because, like, as you said, there is, like, this Dracula's castle problem. But there's, I, I want him to take a little more control. I, I don't know. I want him, he's just always seems a little more reactive. And he's always being manipulated by Hannibal. So there's that. But I don't know. There's well. just a. The performance, too, Hugh Dancy is great, and I'm sure this is what is intended on the show, but he's just always, like I said, he's just always, like, bloodshot-eyed and, like, shaking and stuff. I understand. I understand that this is part of the character and everything, but I'm saying he's not oh, he's not the easiest protagonist to be like, okay, like, I'm with you on this journey because, like, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, like, white knuckling and, like, tears to get behind and just be like oh god this guy should have been like murdered like four episodes ago <laughs> oh i don't know well he is playing hannibal a little bit um in season two like right. he's manipulating how hannibal feels about him oh that's true and like at the beginning like there's a part that's so great where he like starts crying he's like i don't know what to do and then they bring him back to a cell and like the mask just falls off his face and they're like yes get him and then, like, at the end, basically the reason Hannibal flips out and guts him is because he thought they were going to run away together, and then turns out Will was playing both sides. Right. So that's why Will's entrails <laughs> got spilled on the ground. So he is taking a little bit of control, but it's all, it's not guns blazing. It's, he's right. psychologically fucking him up. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's less than you would perhaps hope. But part of Will's thing is that he is as dark or almost as dark as Hannibal is. Like, that's what comes across in the books that I really like, is that in Red Dragon, he's observing a crime scene, and... Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> this cooking thing might have been a bad idea. Um, <laughs> he's observing a crime scene, and he's just, like, you know, looking at all these dead bodies and going, oh, you know what? If I had done this, I would have wanted the dead people to watch me fucking the dead wife. What?! <laughs> Yeah. And and he's very disturbed by how he can get into these people's heads, and so he is trying to fight that. So that's pro part of the reason why he perhaps doesn't go as dark as you would hope. Right. Maybe. <laughs> I don't I mean, I I don't even know if I want him to and I do now that you bring up I do remember the uh sort of double agent aspect yeah. of season 2, which I actually thought was really cool because like I don't know, at a certain point you thought like, you know, he's working for Jack Crawford, but his fascination with Hannibal might undo that, you know, FBI loyalty. So there, there's a little back and forth to be like, oh, how how is Will Graham going to fall in terms of right. in terms of this investigation? And you honestly and, don't know sometimes. Like, wait, is he like? Did right. He just kill Freddie Lowndes? Like, right, right. And that is that is sort of the the gray area I'm talking about, where you know, there's an expectation on television to be spoon fed a lot of that information. And it's there's so much of Hannibal there. It's tough to tell what the actions actually imply about the characters. And I think it's good because it, the show always makes good on later on explaining what this meant. But 
you in might the have moment. to wait a couple episodes. You might have to wait a couple episodes. Yeah. And that's part of, I think, the draw of the show as well, is being like, what the fuck? I, I don't know what's going on, and I'm waiting for a payoff. And I do enjoy how sophisticated it is there. So is there anything you want to talk about season one and two before we jump into season three? Um, no, like I have some quibbles and stuff. Like we're t- like the, the one person whose storyline I have a hard time tracking is Crawford's. Is that because he seems to turn very quickly from not believing, not knowing who to believe to wanting to take Hannibal down. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I had a hard time following where he was coming from, but I'm excited for season three, even though I have no idea what the fuck is happening. <laughs> Why don't we do just a very quick refill break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk season three. All right, awesome. Cool. Be right back. And we are back, a very special Hannibal season three episode. Kristen, who's joining us, cooking. Cook. Let's uh, let's uh, check in on progress over <laughs> there with the the uh, risotto. How is it going? It's going well. I'm at the add in liquid part and wait for it to absorb before I add more. So. Ooh, okay, Lots that's of good. That's good. That's a stirring. We heard some sizzling <laughs> earlier. That was. That might be the white wine. <laughs> it's a little. <laughs> Very good. It really adding a nice ambiance to our our discussion <laughs> our about a about show. Cannibal. Cannibalism. Yes, uh, I really do enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> so now that we've covered some of what we thought of the the previous two seasons, I'm gonna jump into the the new season of Hannibal, the third season, which is I'll mention uh, kind of a departure from at least so far from the from the earlier shows i mean season one in particular is very case of the week mm-hmm. um will graham is uh is a profiler who's working under both jack crawford fbi investigator and his team and being monitored for trauma emotional trauma by hannibal lecter so <laughs> that's uh that seems so such a bad choice now that uh, we're t- two seasons in, or even before we go into the show, because we know how bad Hannibal Lecter is. But there was a very case of the week structure to the show. They were investigating sort of elaborate serial killers, and it became clear that maybe some of these killings happened by Hannibal himself, and there was the Chesapeake Ripper thing, which I still, I've watched season one, if not twice and maybe like one and a half times, I don't understand which killings are credited to Hannibal and which are not. That's most how of them. <laughs> mo- most yeah. of them, yes. But there are a few like copycat ones, and um, Eddie Izzard's character is is sort of the copycat. But then he escapes. It's a, in the first uh, episode. Hannibal is the copycat. He is mm-hmm. the oh, one my. who put the girl in the stag in the field. That's Hannibal. Oh right, but the. <laughs> Okay. And that's Hannibal trying to help. Yes. Like, he really is. Like, he says, I can help Will Graham see the, uh, the killer's face. They're looking for yes. the Shrike, who is Garrett Jacob Hobbs, who is actually mentioned in Red Dragon, but this is pre-Red Dragon. So Hannibal is kind of showing the inverse of what Garrett Jacob Hobbs is, so Will sees how they're different, and that actually helps him catch him. Right, right, right. I. He's the worst do... at helping, but he's helping. <laughs> he's the worst at helping. <laughs> 
So yes, and that sort of, I think, starts that structure, at least in the case of the week, starts to degrade as we get into season two, uh, which had much more sort of uh, strong, singular, multi-episode storylines concerning uh, Michael Pitt's character, which, who I miss so, so dearly. Yes. Uh, And he's not coming back. I know, I know. But the character is coming back, right? Yeah, but not Michael Pitt. Michael Pitt. Michael Pitt did a pretty awesome job in that role. I, he uh, was such a such a bad guy that every time Hannibal looked at him, we're just like, "Can you kill this motherfucker?" You have no idea oh. how bad he is. Like he's so like um, I mean, it's it's implied but never explicit like that he's a pedophile and a rapist. Oh and, god! And in the yeah. books, at one point, he's like, "Oh, I helped Edie and me build a guillotine." Like, okay, we get it. <laughs> yeah. Sucks. <laughs> yeah, and uh, actually. What I really loved about Michael Pitt's character is that it it so put you in Hannibal's corner, which in in a way that the show had never done before. Because just like in the battle between like two of like awful people, it's like I want Hannibal to kill this guy yeah. so bad. Ah, uh, so um, that was great. And then we saw uh, um, in season two sort of the closing in on Hannibal as his, you know, masquerade as uh, this, you know, he actually is a psychiatrist, but we see uh, the deception sort of uh, start to peel away and both Jack Crawford and Will Graham, who suspected him in season one, gets confirmation that, uh, yeah, Hannibal's kind of a bad guy and he's eating people. And uh, Hannibal has to sort of flee uh, at the end in a very bloody, bloody end of uh, season two. So in season three, we see Hannibal relocated in Italy, no longer practicing as a psychiatrist, joined by the Bedelia character, who was once Hannibal's psychiatrist. Now they're posing as husband and wife. And I, I, I think this is my, this could be my favorite phase of the show. Because I, I think this is kind of great. Not only is the show like going real hard on emulating like classic sort of not che- I don't want to say cheesy because they do come off as sort of dated but like just the Argento sort of style of like horror filmmaking it's a little art housey at the same time but you know with the with the sort of modern flair that the show gives so the visuals are incredible I don't necessarily know what's happening <laughs> <laughs> me neither buddy but I cannot stop watching this this show because it, it is not only taking some of that uh, filmmaking inspiration, but it's also incorporating a lot of, like, classical art from, you know, Italian art, um, and it is highlighting um, some of the gorgeous architecture in this locale. So I, I, I can't stop watching this show on an aesthetic basis. But Hannibal is now, he doesn't have to pretend to be a psychiatrist anymore. He's indulging now in Now he's his... pretending to be a professor. Yeah, no, he's pretending to be a pre... He gives, like, an occasional lecture. Yeah. He's, uh living in a mansion with Gillian Anderson and gets to do whatever he wants, basically. What, what? So when he says, I've killed hardly anyone since we've been here. Like, yeah. <laughs> hardly anyone. Oh, baby, you tried. Right, um, right, right. He's, I just um, love, okay, this is, the first sequence of season three is him, like, riding a motorcycle looking super hot and, like, following this guy. And you're like, oh, shit. And a lot of business with Bonsoir. Um, and so, you know, this guy's going to get killed and eaten. And so we get another, you know, cooking montage, which is, you know, par for the course, whatever. But then they cut and they show this woman arriving home. You, you know, read it as the guy who just 
got killed. It's his wife. And she's coming home, and Hannibal's there, and that's the moment I was like, he killed him in his own kitchen? Yeah. He's, he's using his own him. kitchen to cook him? Yep. You son of a bitch. And that's, that's, that's part of the sh- charm of the show, is that you're like, just call, he's such a douchebag, but you also kind of love him. Yeah. <laughs> you're such no, a wang. Yeah, he's one. Of, he's a character I'm fascinated with. I don't know if I'm always rooting for him, but I kind of am because yeah. I did. I don't know to what end either. <laughs> just because I just want to be entertained, I guess. Yeah. We don't want to see him caught. Uh, do you want to talk about Gillian Anderson's character at all? Yeah. Because sure. she's interesting and one of the more characters I find kind of confusing because she is very aware, she's one of the few people who knows Hannibal's secret while he's living in Baltimore, and she accompanies him to Italy, and that's a car alarm going off outside my house. Um, so she, oh, there's, a, there's a great moment in the premiere, the season three premiere, where she realizes that she may be on Hannibal's menu. Oh and my god. And it is, it's such a great bit of acting from Gillian Anderson because <laughs> it happens in, uh, in the presence of, of, of company, so she can't just, like, throw wine in his face or tip over the table and, like, run out of there. But um, just the look on her face is amazing. But I, I'm wondering what her deal is. Like, is she in love with him? Or is she trying to, like, make sure that he doesn't get out of control? Like, why it's, would anyone do this? It's still unclear. I mean, what what I'm gathering from like the brief flashback they show of her with her hand down Zachary Quinto's throat um, mm-hmm. is that Hannibal has dirt on her, and that he set her up kind of Chilton style so that she yeah. can be within his power. That's right. Because right. that's the patient that Hannibal he used to be his counselor, and then he transferred her him to Julian uh, Anderson probably knowing that he was going to go psycho, forcing her to defend herself and kill him. Which is interesting. That's surprising because at first they kind of, it sounded like Hannibal had killed him because they were kind of hinting at him swallowing his own tongue, which is a reference to something that happens in Silence of the Lambs, where Hannibal talks someone into swallowing their own tongue, which isn't possible. But... Um, <laughs> oh, it's right. It's right. <laughs> I remember when, that reference. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So instead of multiple megs, it's... Zachary Quinto. Um, so now we're getting a little more backstory of what happened there. And so what I think happens is that basically she's under his power because he can say, like, oh, you killed this guy. I feel like, you know, in the real world, she could probably, like, get immunity for, you know, like, whatever she did just by turning Hannibal in at this point. Because right. Because he's a trusty gripper, but we're just going to go with... She felt... What, uh, what I'm guessing is she felt she had no option but to go with Yeah. Him. Yeah, yeah. And actually, before I asked that question I forgot about the little bit of dirt that uh, Hannibal had on her it just yeah but it does like you said it does seem like she would still be able to uh, race to the authorities and just be like uh yeah this is uh I need to get some things off my chest but um yeah I, I mean I, I hope that she, she's a series regular now right she's because yep. she was yeah so that's good because I think like her storyline might be might be the, the the one I'm most interested in this season. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know if she's going to... This season, from what it sounds like, is going to be kind of almost a two-parter. Yeah. And then, Are they going to s- split it up? Well, I don't know how... It's kind of like 
season two was, where then the Bergers show up and it becomes a little bit different. So in this one, Dollarhide, Francis Dollarhide, who is the red dragon of the first book, is going to be introduced in the end of this season. I don't know if they're going to wrap up all of our dragon in this season. So I don't know if she's going to make it to that part. Um, yeah. You know, if... Is she in the Is she in the books? No. No. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That I feel like that doesn't bode well for her. Yeah. Like I don't know some of the stuff. Like they're using so many storylines. Like they already did. You know the burning wheelchair moment. Like so, what's going to happen to Freddie Lowndes? Because um, that's what happens to Freddie in the books. Um, but they've already kind of used that. So are they going to do it again? Like was that first one? Oh uh, yeah. Them, you know. So yeah. who knows basically, and which is a nice place to be in a TV show where you literally have no idea what's going to happen. Dollar Hyde being played by Thor and Oakenshield. And so I don't know how much of Red Dragon they're going to get into, if they're going to finish the entire story in the season, or if it's going to continue into the fourth. If we get a fourth, I hope we do. They've asked Brian Fuller, like, is, is this show going to, like, go into Silence of the Lamb territory? And ultimately, it's not up to him. Wow, really? Because the rights to the name Clary Starling belong to whichever studio made Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal. Oh, wow. Um, so, so they can use storylines from Silence, um, and they've you know made reference to things in the books. At one point, Hannibal's like petting a lamb. You're like, son of God damn it. Um, <laughs> it. It's hard to notice because a guy has just crawled out of a horse, um, but there's just like a cutaway where Hannibal's just like hanging out with a lamb. Oh, jeez, I remember that. Uh, oh, God. That's one of my favorite episodes. It's like, did, Is that season two? Yeah. Yeah. It's, is your social worker inside that horse? Um, and even Hannibal's like, whoa, this is some fucked up shit. So when Hannibal makes that face, you're like, oh, man. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, they don't own the rights to the Claire. They, the people, there, there's been more interest. The negotiations have been going better about getting the rights. But it's ultimately not up to him. Interesting. I would have to say that I hope that they stretch out if you can consider this material to be prequel material, if if Silence of the Lambs is sort of like the the tentpole sort of like marker of the you know reference for everyone, I hope that they kind of stretch out the prequel stuff for as long as they can because as much as I'd want to see that you know the Silence of the Lambs stuff like fullerized for this show, I, I'm enjoying this show much more than I have enjoyed Silence of the Lambs. So. Mm-hmm. I would tune in for this show's styling on that stuff, but I'm interested to see what, what Red... Because I remember nothing of Red Dragon, so I'm hoping, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to having that sort of, like, knocked back into me, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, man, was Red Dragon good? The movie or the book? The movie. No. Is that the Brett Ratner one? Probably. Yeah, with Ed Norton and yeah. Ray Fiennes? Yeah. And, like... First off, before everything gets before the credits roll and everything, they show Hannibal or Will catching Hannibal, and how Will catches Hannibal is um, kind of how Miriam last caught him, which is he sees the wound man and and it's so like stupid though because like he sees the wound man and like the second it dawns on his face, Hannibal stabs him. It's like how did Hannibal know that? Whatever. Um, <laughs> but the other thing is. Um, Hannibal stabs him. I'm like, in the show, he like cut him all the way across. Like that, that's nothing. Um, mm. But I mean, also, it's like much older Anthony Hopkins with like a ponytail. I'm like, mm. Right, right, yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, I forgot about that. I was like, who played Hannibal in that movie? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it was Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> like, 12 years later or something. Yeah. No, uh, the movie's not great. I remember almost nothing about it. And the only thing I remember about ha- the movie Hannibal is... Oh, it's not uh, good. Of, uh, ...of Ray Liotta eating his own brains at the end. Yeah. Well, that movie, uh, I you know, I grew up in a small town that had an independent movie theater that normally didn't really care much about ratings. You could get into pretty much anything except that movie. Uh, you had to, if you were under 18, you had to be accompanied by an adult. And so my poor mother <laughs> had to go watch that with us. Jeez. Yeah. But I just rented that after I, you know, read all the books. And it's not good. I mean, Red Dragon is not good. And that's just kind of boring, wrote procedural sort of thing. The only good scene is like when they're they're they have like forty five minutes to check Hannibal's cell. That part's good, but other than that, no. the movie Hannibal is completely wackadoo, and so that's entertaining, but it it's it's pretty trashy <laughs> and not good. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I remember so little of these movies. So of the movies that you've seen, is Silence still the best? Oh yeah, yeah, like by a lot. Yeah, by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I would imagine that would also be so for Manhunter because as ma- as good as Manhunter is, it's it's kind of an acquired. T- it's interesting in that it's one of Michael Mann's earlier movies, and like we see, I don't know his stylings that would later be you know in Heat, in Collateral, and all these things in Miami Vice, and that's interesting. And, and those movies are uh, or television shows are now classic, but Manhunter was like an early sort of. I don't know. I don't think it was popular because they totally rebooted it for Silence of the Lambs. But it's like interestingly shot. It's not engaging as like a detective story, I would argue. It's kind of, it's got that sort of, it's got a lot of like navel gazing. Yeah. And I don't know how how faithful it is to the book either. It sounds like it's a little bit closer to the book than perhaps the movie is. Because the movie was made after Silence of the Lambs. Um, the Red Dragon movie made after Silence of the Lambs came right. out. And so they knew like what kind of draw that Hannibal had. And so they added him a bit more. Um, right, right, right. And so what I've heard, like I was reading comparisons and how... Well, actually, Red Dragon is more about Dollarhood. And Manhunter is more about Will Graham. You're right. That's um, correct. And to, to be clear for everyone who might be wondering, Red Dragon and Manhunter are an adaptation of the same book. Right. So, Because um, a lot of people don't realize that Manhunter exists. Yeah, no, because it was the earliest of the yeah. Thomas Harris adaptations, and it, like I said, it wasn't that successful. Yeah, if I remember right, what's super interesting about Manhunter to me is that Brian Cox, who is an amazing actor, plays Hannibal. Mm-hmm. I would say it's a more understated performance than Anthony Hopkins, but the photography like of his cell and everything is, is very, it's good. It's worth watching, especially if you're a Thomas Harris fan. I'd be interested to get your take on a later episode mm-hmm. uh, of Manhunter, but... Um, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, there's certainly a lot of material for the show to draw from. I'm, and like I said, I'm almost, I'm, I so dig what Brian Fuller and the writer's room are doing already that, like, I like the dips into the Thomas Harris stuff and saying, like, oh, I remember hearing about that from a movie <laughs> or something, but I don't necessarily, I, it's not a requirement for me for this show now because after two seasons and the season three which i think holds a lot of promise i feel like they got a handle on it like in Mm -hmm. terms of like their own approach uh do you feel the same way or do you want 
do you want to go there with the books? No, I think I think I like how they're using the books as a jumping off point, especially yeah. because the books are incredibly problematic in places. Um, <laughs> like you want portraying... to talk about? A little bit. Um, portraying transgender people. Although, like, the books, um, they make it clear, like, Buffalo Bill isn't actually transgender. Like, they're very explicit. He's not. He thinks he is. But he's actually been rejected from, like, gender reassignment surgery because he took the test and they're like, no, you're not. So, uh, stuff like that. But, like, also, um, Margot Verger, they never say that she's trans, but, you know, she's trying to emulate masculine form a little bit and they blame that on her trauma being abused by her brother and so for people who are gender fluid or whatever like the books aren't great and like there are also some gay characters that are dead uh so yeah anyway <laughs> um stuff with the books aren't terrific you know brian fuller said like we changed some of the genders because otherwise it would be a total sausage fest and and he's talked about um coming up in season three that um dollar hides relationship with uh the blind woman whose name is escaping me right now is actually going to be fairly touching and not quite as rapey as some of the other versions are because again she doesn't know that he's a serial killer they're, they're trying to make good on the subject material so they're, right. they're they're taking elements of it and making it better and more interesting yeah. and deeper yeah because they are like the novels are good but they're like they're trashy thriller novels right and i've always wondered that about the books because you know sounds of the lambs considered a classic award-winning and movie uh, yeah movie 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 but i've always wondered like what are these books like because like on paper i can see this reading as like just like a beach read or something well i mean they they read super quickly. Like, I read all three of them in a week. Wow. And really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, they're not that long. And, you know, they're formatted like a thriller. So very short chapters, very page-turning. And, you know, it was interesting. There's some details I'd forgotten, so that was nice. Or horrifying. But, no, they're, they're fairly standard, you know. I mean, they kind of set the bar for right. thriller novels. But that's what they are, man. Yeah. <laughs> The, the, it, the end of Hannibal is so ridiculous, though. Like, in the movie, Clarice is horrified. Right. She's not in the book. No, doesn't she, like, join him? She, oh, I, she's like, more, please. Um, yeah. And then she runs away with Hannibal. And then, like, they're explicit, like, and by the way, they do it all the time. Oh, God. Like, the word penetration is used. And I was like, okay, I get it. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That's nah, not good. That's actually something I want to talk about um, in season yeah. three, is I'm kind of curious about what's happening to Bedelia. Like, Julia Anderson is playing it very kind of slurry. Like, she already has this kind of drawl in her voice that's super hot, but uh, it's, like, even more so. And so I don't know if she's playing it drunk, because mm -hmm. we do we have seen before that Bedelia likes her wine. But in, you know, in Hannibal, what he does is he has Clarice on some cocktail of sedative and kind of Stockholm syndromes her into loving him. But there's a whole like trip out sequence at the end of Hannibal. And I'm wondering if that's what he's doing to her. If Bedelia is getting like the first dose of whatever sedative she's on. And so her moments of going out and trying to be seen are like the drug wearing off and her trying to fight back. So, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if she's just drunk or if she's being drugged. Interesting. I haven't noticed the draw. I did notice, because I watched that premiere twice, that there is a moment where they take great care in crafting her drinking something. 
mm-hmm. getting a drink for herself. Yeah, I mean, that would go a long way to explain her participation even further in all this. And like I said, I think her storyline might be the one... Like, do you want to talk about the ending or the the latest episode with Will and, you know, very briefly where that character is at? He does make his way to Italy after surviving the attack at the end of Season 2. And it's a great moment where he (laughs) uh, is confronted with another uh, Italian um, investigator who's also searching for Hannibal for uh, uh, crimes that took place even before this show even took place. And the detective realizes, like, what are you going to do when you find Hannibal? And Will admits that he doesn't know. Like, Mm -hmm. I think there is a a certain assumption at the beginning of the season that, like, Will is is on uh, sort of a revenge trip to go get this guy and at the very least arrest him or get him arrested. But, uh, of course, the more interesting turn is to be like, maybe that's not what where Will is at. And, uh, of course, the last lines of the, the, the most recent episode are, Hannibal, I forgive you. And I'm... <laughs> I'm kind of with you. I laugh because I'm like, I don't what? know. <laughs> it feels like a Tumblr of... Yeah. A Tumblr post. Of, of Hannibal fandom made its way into the show. You're with me? Yeah, You're with no. me on that? Like, uh, like, that was in the preview, and, and like, Tumblr lost their collective shit. Um, <laughs> and I was with them. But I'm surprised it happened already. I, I didn't think it was earned. I, I thought it was going to happen later. Yeah. Um, especially because this whole episode was him with Abigail and being happy with Abigail and realizing, nope, that was all hallucination. That was a great, that was a great reveal too, what? because when she walked into the room, I was like, they both live? Like, come on. Like yeah. someone had to die during all that. <laughs> I, and, uh, yeah. I don't know about Alana, man. Do you think she's still alive? I, I don't know. Mm. Well, there's also Jack too. Like they're characters that they have not updated us on. Yeah. Correct. Which, yeah. which I appreciate that, you know, yeah, no, I'm still, I mean, Al- I never was, like, Alana was, like, kind of a, a weird character. I was never, like, in her corner. I was just sort of, I don't want to, I'm more interested in Jack's fate because that storyline seemed to work better. I don't, I could never tell where Alana was at. And because of that, I think I sort of, like, marginalized my interest in in her as a character. So, uh yeah, she I was rough be... in the second season because yeah. because of the whole Dracula thing. Um, right. Yes. Exactly. But like intellectually, like I get it, but it is when you're faced with so much evidence. But also, I mean, like she had a thing for Will a little bit, and he turned crazy, and so yep. I don't know. She she's just kind of lost, and so I kind of track her storyline. But it is kind of hard when you're sort of shouting at the screen like, "No, what are you doing?" <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mean to swerve away from the the forgive you thing and in you, you thinking that was too early because I think that's a great point where you know, like right after his surrogate daughter has been taken away from him and then he says, "I forgive you." It's like, I, why? Yeah, that's true. What has I he mean, done besides make he, a horrifying heart stag? He, yeah, I know. Ugh, what the shit? Creepy, very creepy. You know, can I ask something that I've I've never gotten and. I, <laughs> I feel as though hosting this episode, I'm like the biggest Hannibal noob. What is the stag? Oh, the dire raven stag. That's another thing that I have a hard time oh, realizing. Is, is it Hannibal or is it like Will's that's sort of a good question. Like, avatar or something? Because I think 
I think the the person stag, like the when you see like it's mostly a human but with antlers. With antlers, that's, that's Hannibal. Hannibal. And yeah. the stag is Will, or like <laughs> the darker side of Will, because you see it die right. at the end of the, season two. The end two. of season two, right. Ah, so the just to clarify, there is a, a running motif uh, in Dire the show stag. of yes of a of a black stag with feathers, and it is unclear, <laughs> at least to me, like what it actually represents. Um, There's a really good Twitter feed at Die Ravenstag, and it you know refers to all humans as tasty flesh meats and <laughs> eating your yeah. beautiful nightmares and all this. It's so funny. Um, yeah. I'll have to check that out because, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it doesn't explain it's abs- anything, but it's funny. It, it's abstract to the point where now that when I see it, I'm like, what is this? And it's uh, it's kind of comical. But yeah, and then the stag makes another very weird appearance in the latest episode. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the surrogate daughter thing with Abigail. I don't, and yes, I agree. But even without her as a factor, for Will to come to the conclusion that he has forgiven Hannibal for not just the end of season two, but for everything leading. Yeah. I mean, Hannibal has been horrible to Will. Like, that stuff in season one where he's actually like, shoving ears per- down his throat and. <laughs> shoving ears down his throat. The whole brain thing where he's uh, inflamed like half of his brain. Well, he didn't uh, give him encephalitis. He just. He didn't, oh, he didn't give him? Well, oh, well, no, he hid it from him, though. Yeah, yeah. He hid that's it from him. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fucked up. So, <laughs> there's a lot. And he at... killed the one other person who knew by sawing his head in half. That's right, that doctor guy who was a jerk. But that was, that was Hannibal's fucked up form of love because he told the doctor, you know, like, oh, we can not tell him and study him. It'll be exciting. And the doctor went, okay. And Hannibal went, I hate you because you're going to let my you're boyfriend right. so... get hurt. And I'm the only one who gets to hurt my boyfriend. Right, right. God, what a weird, weird relationship. Yeah. They're and in show. love. I mean, that's the easiest way to read it, is that they're in, like, this really fucked up relationship. It's non-sexual, but they're in a relationship. Right. No, I get, I mean, I get it, and I feel like, I feel like the show is make has to, in this third season, make that more... Uh, explicit than implicit, right? Because like the <laughs> the formality of pretending that you know, you know, this is my job and this is your job, and we're trying to do this to figure out this thing. All that has gone away now, and it's just it's just Will pursuing Hannibal, and like you really have to bring to bear some of the feelings that have been not spoken on the show or not been, like I said, explicit on the show. So. I'm interested to see what that's going to be like because that is like veering towards what, you know, the Tumblr community has been, you know, honed in on for a very long time Mm -hmm. and how the show is going to handle that. Well, I don't know how much, I mean, I I know they're, they're Hanagram, which is the Mm -hmm. ship name. Um, they're Hanagram shippers. Hanagram. Yeah. Um, but I think everyone acknowledges that it, you know, even if it is a sexual relationship, it's a fucked up one. Right. And it's being written as a horror. Although there's this one semi-famous Tumblr post that's like, oh, I, I see they're making Hannibal, you know, evil. I was kind of hoping he'd be anti-hero at best. And someone replied, he eats people. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, th- there's very little wiggle room in terms yeah. of doing anti-hero stuff. Although that is part of, like, the first 
season is they don't show him killing people until super late. Um, yeah. I mean, you always know what he is. Uh, but, like, you know, it's shown in flashes. And you don't actually see him, like, physically killing someone until he's sawing the guy's head in half, I think. Um, right. Or maybe uh, taking Miriam away. But, like, it, it's super rare. Like, And I love that. Like, There's that flash of when Jack says, what are we eating? Rabbit. And Jack goes, should have hopped faster. And just, like, a very, like, five-second shot of someone, a human, running through the woods. And then Hannibal saying, yes, he should have. Um, and that's it. Yeah. And that's kind of all you get for a while. And so I can kind of see how you would read it as, like, anti-hero. Because he's so delightful to watch. But anyway, where the fuck were we talking about? Oh. Well, uh, like, I mean, that's that means you're coming to the show, though, without, like, a lot of the previous Harris material, though, right? You're supposed to because, I like, mean, like, in Hannibal's because book, the, the... he's up against people who are way worse. Like, the Vergers suck. Right. Yeah, right. So, well, Mason. Margot's fine. Right. But, but... Mason, but the Brad, uh, I'm sorry, Brad Pitt. The Michael Pitt character, Mason Verger, is awful. Right. Awful, awful. And, 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 like I said before, it's thrilling to see Hannibal go against that guy because... Then you're rooting for like the lesser, <laughs> the the lesser yeah. evil, but it's so satisfying uh, because Hannibal is so capable. But man, yeah, no, I, I understand. I understand. I, I'm wondering when the show is going to really commit to Hannibal being a bad guy, though, because they have to put him in jail. Got to put him in the in the in the cell for for the Red Dragon. No, no, he, is he out for Red Dragon or is nope. he in for Red Dragon? He's in no. for Red Dragon. Yeah, yeah, so. Yeah. He's, he's in for silence. He gets out at the end of silence. Yes, that's right. That's right. And that's, I get, a, that's another I, thing is that, like, in silence, he's been in for a really long time. Yep. Yep. I, I in my head, I confuse uh, Hannibal and Red Dragon because I remember, like, 5% of each movie. <laughs> well, just one last thing. Brian Fuller did, you know, like, a Twitter Q&A really briefly. And someone said, like, sum up season three in like one sentence and he just said breaking up is hard to do <laughs> well they as a crew and as like a, a writer's room are sort of it's weird to say because obviously the show is is uh addressing and is establishing this this very real real relationship but it's also playing into like we said the fandom stuff which has been very explicit and very celebrated for a long time and it's great that the show runners and the the makers of the show sort of recognize that the fans have picked up on this. Is yeah. that correct? Because other other shows where this stuff is going on are flat out ignored by the the makers of the show, and they just go in their own direction. And even if this has been the plan the whole time, it's great that the makers of the show play with the fandom that they know that's there. Am I off in that I don't at know. all? I don't know how much um, fandom is influencing Brian Fuller. I know he appreciates it, and I appreciate him as a showrunner of liking fandom, liking fan art. Um, the NBC Hannibal Tumblr is really good at like reblogging fan art and oh, cool, and with full attribution, which is the other thing that sometimes is missing. Mm -hmm. And Brian Fuller like really embracing that. A lot of the fans of the show are women, and yeah, but I don't know how much fandom is actually influencing the writing. I know that someone tweeted him saying, can you name one of the dogs applesauce? And he did. Because, <laughs> like, who, who gives a shit? Like, right? Just, like, name yeah, the dog. Right. Um, but for, like, overall show things, like, I think um, he's probably, like, 
you know, grateful that fandom is going along with it, but I don't know how much he's writing for fans versus this is just what his crazy brain is like. Um, but he, right. he is very good at being respectful of fandom instead sure. of like pandering to it or making like stupid jokes about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Sherlock. Ooh, that's the, yes, that is the example that I couldn't think of, not just for this, but for like dipping in and out of source material in, in, in ways that he's like, oh, shifting around moments. Mm-hmm. But for the fandom thing, it's even a better example because yeah. that last season felt kind of like a... Slap to the face? <laughs> well, I'm not a big Sherlock fan, but it definitely felt like... Then uh... just trust me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Yeah. So it's the opposite situation here uh, with Hannibal where they seem engaged with fans, but are That's not... That's a good way to put it. They're engaged, yeah. but yeah, right. not pandering okay. too much. And... Great. Well, good for them for doing that, because that seems to be a growing thing with writers' rooms and stuff, where they're very aware of, like, what's going on in Reddit, what's going on in Tumblr. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and some... they love, like, live-tweeting it. Like, um, follow uh, Aaron Abrams and Brian Fuller, and you get, like, running commentary on every episode. That's um, great. Yeah. And, there's... and Aaron Abrams is so fucking funny. And he plays one of the FBI... Yeah. Ones, the snarkier one the one that wasn't on kids in the hall are they coming back yes they're going to be back for the second half okay for good. the dollar height stuff yeah so they were the fbi like team there was like part of the very much part of the case of the week stuff <laughs> and then sort of got like a, a lesser and lesser role as if i remember right as season yeah. two went along and now you know now we're in italy and they're not a lot of characters aren't there but right. uh i'd be happy to see them again because uh they brought a much needed levity. <laughs> like, yes, to some of those situations. Yeah. Well, great. I mean, unless we want to say anything else to wrap up what we think of Hannibal, I think we don't rate TV shows, but um, th- this is highly recommended. And I'm not as engaged with the fandom and in the predictions of how the, the season's going to go. But season three feels like a kind of a great starting point for the show too. For new fans to jump in because it is such mm-hmm. a, a new starting point for the Hannibal character. And it's a new locale and they seem to be really indulging themselves in terms mm-hmm. of the new locale. And it's also just, you know, representative of the rest of the show too. And if you dig it, you can d- dive back into the the first two seasons. But anything else you want to say? Hannibal? Five I, stars? Yeah. What? What? I, I, li- I like the word you used, indulgent, because I feel like that's how a lot of the show is. Like, it's so... Um what's the phrase grand guignol however you pronounce it very gothic very like rich so beautiful um the food looks so good even though you know it's human it's um, the oh my god yeah i know it, it's, <laughs> i like to pretend a lot of it isn't to be yeah. honest with you because it's, it's a lot of food porn happening and now that they're in italy i'm in so much trouble because italian food oh i know i know mm, it's the a- perfect perfect place to run away to for the cuisine yeah. and oh god right oh. And and although I I read a long time ago that if um who's the USDA or whoever like rates food like if they rated human meat we'd be so disgusting like we're full of carcinogens and just we would not be edible right. so I don't know how people didn't catch Hannibal just by being like this meat is disgusting <laughs> <laughs> they're all I've coming always, down with like weird illnesses I've like, always wondered that too because he feeds humans to so many of the different characters and they're like what is this and it's like it's a special kind of pig from this region of france or something and they're like oh okay (laughs) god damn it 
Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so indulgent and so beautiful. And yeah, it's really interesting. And yeah, it's one of the best shows out there. And like, it's got a lot of critical acclaim. It's just very, it is. It's it. a show that's been, it's a show that's been critically acclaimed for three years now. It hasn't gained that audience, but maybe with this third season, I don't know. It feels, mm -hmm. even as someone who's watched the first two seasons, like I'm more excited, as I said, about this third season than I am about. If this had opened, the entire show would be so pumped. Mm -hmm. So, so pumped. And I'm pumped for this season. So, yeah, jump in if you haven't. And uh, if you have, good for you, because you're supporting a amazing show that is truly unlike anything else on TV right now. Mm -hmm. If there is something else, please, someone tweet us or something and tell us because I think that this is uh, this is more cinematic and richer in craft than a lot of what's in the theaters right now so watch it and it's awesome the next closest is Penny Dreadful which is its own thing so yeah I've <laughs> heard a lot about Penny Dreadful but it seems like very it's more wackadoo yeah wackadoo is perfect perfect word I was looking for very wackadoo <laughs> uh, which um uh, there's a lot of wackadoo out there, so it's on my wackadoo list, but I haven't watched it. Have you watched it? I've watched the first season. I haven't started the second season yet. All right. There are certain characters, like, I don't know what Dorian Gray is doing there, except to have sex with the entire cast. Because all the characters are, it's like League of Extraordinary Kind of. Or, yeah. Yeah, um, and, like, like Dr. Frankenstein is there, um, and, like, he's introduced as, um, like, we're gonna go see a resurrectionist and show him this body, and, like, okay, I get it. And then... Like, oh, I, I wonder who this guy is. And then, yeah, right. like, he goes home, and there's, like, a body lying out in a slab, and then, like, a lightning strikes, and the body wakes up, and he goes, hello, I'm Victor Frankenstein. In, like, this very kind of, like, introductory way. I'm like, oh, are we not supposed to know that? Because, oh, like, geez. fucking that. Um, but it, <laughs> like, there are a couple episodes that are just, like, a deep dive into, like, the characters, like, the, the, the plot just halts, and we get, like, flashbacks and stuff. And it's very interesting. So, it's it's cool. It's not quite as pretty as Hannibal, though. So No, I'm, I'm sort of so... Well, I guess I don't know enough of Penny Dreadful. Penny Dreadful takes place in, like, the past, right? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is Victorian. So. Yeah, okay. Well, I can dig that, but I don't know. I'm just so so psyched about the Italian stuff right now. <laughs> it's hard for, me, hard for me to break away, yes. but... All right, we'll keep that on the wackadoo list. Is that Showtime? Yes. What is that? Yeah, all right, okay. But you can Penny buy Dreadful. it. I bought the entire season one on Google Play for like 10 bucks. Oh, that's a really good deal. Yeah. I know they pushed the hell out of Penny Dreadful here in L.A., but I've I've not heard a lot about the show like, outside of like bus advertisements. <laughs> so. like, Ava Green alone is just makes is worth the price of admission because right. she is, can be so beautiful and so terrifying in like in a second she can turn from gorgeous to manic crazy horrifying demon beast. And what famous character does she play? She uh, no one I've heard of. Oh is, is maybe a creation of the show? Yeah. Oh okay. Hmm. Okay. It, it, is her is she Penny Dreadful? Is yeah. that her name? No. <laughs> her this name has is been not Penny. another episode of Rob not knowing television shows. I forget what the fuck her name is. Anyway, I just need oh, to well, catch go. up on season two. But yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Well, here at Tisby, we have have had a great love for Christopher Lee and all of his. All of his, uh, at least recent roles, I mean, he's been in a billion movies, but mm -hmm. yeah, he was sort of a, 
a running joke for us, not in a not in a mean way, but in a in a reverent way. And passed away, passed away this week, and uh, he was ninety three, I believe. Mm-hmm. Which is a long uh, and celebrated life is nothing to be too sad about, but it is said that we won't see him in any more movies. And man, what a life! What a life! And, and, I and no one I, has anything bad to say about him. So right. And also, guy. did you read the thing that uh, you know, podcast fan Brian tweeted to us no. about his life? Oh my God! Uh, I suggest you read it because mm-hmm. it goes over uh, a brief biography of. Uh, of Christopher Lee and his the many uh, interesting interesting things that happened to him. He was a God. He was like a spy at a very young age. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, a lot of and- Lord of the Rings fans know that um, because in the behind the scenes, when uh, people have been mentioning the story a lot, because um, that's what a lot of people remember. Yes, is when right. Wormtail. Wormtongue, shit. When Wormtongue yeah. <laughs> stabs him in the back, Peter Jackson kind of wanted this specific performance from him. And mm-hmm. Christopher Lee just goes, Peter, do you know what it sounds like when a man is stabbed in the back? And Peter Jackson's <laughs> like, uh, no. And Christopher Lee goes, well, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and Peter Jackson was like, okay. Carry on. Right. <laughs> and- yes. And I have to see, uh, there is, and Brian pointed this out to us on Twitter, uh, the spy, the secret spy off the books department that uh, Chris Vila is part of, before the age of 25, I might add, was called the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, which is fucking amazing and needs to be like a movie. His whole life needs to be a movie. Right? It will like, be. It has to be. Oh, God. Oh, uh, uh, why couldn't he be in the Kingsman? That would have been yeah. so great. Because he actually like was a Kingsman. Right. Yes, yes, exactly. That's exactly right. I have to say, uh, going back, like, I was a big Count Dooku fan. You know, Star Wars prequels, not very celebrated, but uh, there is a tradition in all the Star Wars movies to sort of, like, Peter Cushing as uh, Tarkin in the first one, as using these sort of, like, genre actors, these classically trained actors Mm -hmm. of the theater who got into, like, the horror movie track in, you know, classic Hollywood. Christopher Lee was part of the continuing tradition of that in Star Wars and as Count Dooku was great both uh you know a little bit in uh, the beginning of Revenge of the Sith but really in uh Attack of the Clones one of the best parts if not the best part of Attack of the Clones is Christopher Lee and he's also great in Man of the Golden Gun the Bond story uh movie rather uh Scaramanga he has a a sun-powered laser that's gonna take over Okay. Take over the world. And one of my favorite Bond villain disfigurements, because they all have like a weird thing with their body. Right. Uh, Scaramanga has a third nipple. So that's it. Yeah. <laughs> third nipple. Christopher Lee plays a third nipple villain in uh, Roger Moore. Man with the Golden Gun. So those are my favorite. Do you have, I mean, obviously Lord of the Rings. He's great. Uh, anything else you want to say about Christopher oh, Lee? Oh, what the fuck? Wicker Man. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I man. almost said no, uh, and then like, oh my God, Wicker Man. Summer's Isle, yeah. Oh, so many great quotes, just like, well, it's far too dangerous to jump up the fire with your clothes on. Like, fucking duh, right? <laughs> now, Some if I remember... Some acne-scarred artisan. If I remember right, he's, it, he's a late appearance in that movie, right? He's, he's just not... about halfway through. Halfway through, yeah. yeah. God, and he's so good. I just love, I saw some quote going around, I'm, I'm, don't, I don't know it word for word, but um, he says, 
you know, you can't always be in good movies, but you can always be good in them, which I think is just such a great outlook. Yeah. No, God, I mean... Because so many people will be shitty in shitty movies, looking at you and Nicolas Cage. Right. Who can act. I think he rises to... My my theory on Nicolas Cage is he rises to the level of his project. Um, Because Racing Arizona is great. Um, Yes, right, exactly. That's a quote that probably speaks to what you were mentioning where no one had no one ever had anything bad to say about him where it's just like i'm gonna bring a level of integrity to this thing i'm doing no matter what and that probably was appreciated and he gave off that kind of that that air of like i'm gonna bring it and um and he was great i mean i admittedly i have not even seen him as dracula which is one of his Mm -hmm. iconic roles but in the things that i always saw he just felt like he was he was taking that thing seriously. It would be so easy to play Lord Summer's Isle or Scaramanga or Count Dooku and just be like, I've done this a billion times. Because he has. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a great breadth of like variety into the gr- roles that he played. But he always but he brought such it. a present. Yeah. Yes. And always crushed it. So, And, you know, I, I, I don't know if I brought this up during our Hobbit discussion, but, like, he did look not well. Dude was 93. <laughs> yeah, dude was 93, and, um... That's part of, like, I'm, I miss him, but also he probably wasn't going to be in that many more movies anyway. Um, I think, yeah, I think one more is, like, in post-production or something, but, yeah. like, yeah, he's, uh... But he crammed so much life into 93 years, and so... He did, he, he, he did. He fucking met Tolkien, like... Yes, at a bar, <laughs> and it, apparently he, like, geeked out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Huge Tolkien yeah. nerd. Oh. God. And, like, did metal records and... Did. Which are, if you ever see any of the music videos, are kind of hilariously awesome. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's end this episode like we end every episode with a quick Geek of the Week. What have we been watching or reading, playing, or doing that has been our very favorite? So, <laughs> Kristen, what have you been, other than cooking... Yeah. Um, and Penny Dreadful, what have you been doing? I jumped on the bandwagon post Tony's and read Fun Home, which is it, it's a graphic novel okay. by Alison Bechtel of the Bechtel Test. Oh, yeah, it's her biographical graphic novel. Um, it's an actual graphic novel, and it got turned into a musical, and it just won big at the Tonys. So a lot of people were talking about it. It's like, okay, I should probably, oh, probably yeah. read this. And yeah, I saw the Tony Award stuff and i'd never heard of that play or musical whatever did you see the performance because holy shit no i didn't no it's so like there's this like 11 year old girl who's just belting her heart out and playing this the song is fine but just her performance like more the spoken word than uh, almost spoken word than like the actual chorus is what Mm -hmm. just like wrecked me the comic is mostly about allison and her relationship with her father who um when she was about 20, she realized that her dad might actually be gay. And this is right about when she's, she realized a little bit earlier, but she realized she's a lesbian. Mm. And, and her dad, he was a piece of work. I'm kind of impressed by how compassionate she is towards him, even though he was abusive mentally and physically at times. But, you know, they do have this connection through books and, you know, through their shared experience of, being in the closet for a while it's not linear in any way it you know keeps repeating scenes but you get more information uh you realize that she was in new york city like a few days after the stonewall riots 
which is oh, wow. fascinating. But so many literary allusions, but she explains them all, which I appreciate. <laughs> it's like here's a recap of james joyce's ulysses like you don't have to read it to understand this but yeah a lot of greek mythology is in there which i also appreciate it's a very beautiful book it takes just a couple hours to read i'm not a huge fan of like the i, I don't think i'm going to see the musical just because i don't like that style right. of song um yep. but the book is incredible the book is good okay yeah, it, it, yeah it's excellent i would recommend it Someone was asking me recently for like graphic novel recommendations, and I realized how few of them I've actually read. I was like, "Oh, uh, Watchmen," and <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and you know what I mean? It's hard. It's uh, well, actual graphic well, novel. I mean, like, just recommend them comics and tell them to buy the trade. Right, um, right, right. Which, exactly. speaking of which, which I, ha I haven't talked about this, but I finally read Sex Criminals. Oh, it's, how is that? It's so good. Is it? It's so funny. It's so good. It's funny and good. Yes. I heard it's funny and good. That's Matt Fraction. Yep. Who uh, uh, wrote that. Very successful series. Will um, never get made into a movie. Will never get made into a movie. Probably. Matt Fraction and I think it... Um, I don't want to misspeak. I don't know if he just got it or I think both of them got it. So he and his wife... Uh, I don't think she's working on that one. Maybe. She's not working on sex criminals, but uh, her name is Kelly Sue DeConnick. Uh, she bitch planet, is, yeah, bitch planet, which is great, and I've talked about on the on the podcast before. They just got like a television development deal or something together. Oh. I think at least in the last month or two, but I think they made it pretty clear early on that it is not a sex criminals <laughs> adaptation. Yeah, I've heard about sex criminals. The idea of it seems like I don't know. It seems like something that would be enough for like an SNL sketch or something but is it it's interesting enough that it keeps going and going well I've only read the first trade okay well even that I mean that enough was like you know going into their backstories because like it starts with the woman and she realizes that when she orgasms time stops and it stops for everyone and then she meets this guy and she hits it off with him and they have sex and then like time stops for her but he's still like with her like, time yeah. is still going, and she's like, and they're both like, what are you doing here? And then they realize they have the same, not problem. Oh, and yeah. so then it goes into his backstory, and then they get this plan, and he has some other weird hang-ups going on, where, like, he likes to shit in plants. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> uh. Don't ask, just read it. It sounds interesting. It's one of those things, it's like Saga, like... It's it's acclaimed forever, and then, like, when the hype is down about it, I'll finally, like, read the first issue. Yeah. The hype, <sighs> like Saga, it's completely earned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first issue of Saga was amazing. Mm hmm And, uh, I only have not read more because it's like, man, I'm going to buy all these. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, graphic novels. I guess, I mean, for my Geek of the Week... And this is something I've talked about in the past. Uh, another comic series called Cowl, which I've gone mm. on at, at length. And um, I won't go again. It's great. And I bought the latest issue, issue 10, a few weeks late, actually. And I read it last night. And, of course, in, like, the mail segment at the end, they announced that the next issue would be its last. So now I'm, like, really upset because I don't know why. I don't know if this was a thing with image that it doesn't seem like it was meant to be like a limited series like 
there's a lot of story going on, and I'm wondering how any of it is going to get tied up in uh, a final issue. It does. It feels more like a cancellation than anything else. But I'm bummed out. I'm bummed out. So everyone who has been thinking about Cowl uh, but has not actually bought an issue and checked it out, do that because it's ending, and now it's going to be a complete little eleven issue series. And uh, yeah, this is what happens when I guess uh, people don't listen to me. <laughs> I, I never actually expected to go too long, but uh, I was totally bummed out to read last night that uh, eleven would be final issue. So there it is, another another comic series that Rob loves gets axed. Starting to think it's that, you, buddy. Yeah, I'm bad luck. I'm bad <laughs> luck. Everything, everything. Stop watching like, Hannibal. Cancel. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Uh well, that's it then. Thank you for joining me and for all the listeners for joining us to talk about the wonderful t- television show Hannibal. And as usual, oh, no, I almost did it again. Yep. Well, I always remember <laughs> to uh, talk about uh, our many things. Our many things is one is uh, tisbycast.com, our official website. Find all our episodes, find past blogs that we've written about some cool stuff. Go there. We're also on Twitter at, uh, I think we're at tisbypodcast. You're the one who runs it, buddy. I know. Why <laughs> do I not know this? Because I do it automatically without looking at it. It is Tisby Podcast. I was correct. All one word. That's T-I-S-B Podcast. We do have a Tumblr. I don't know. Sort of. We, yeah, I don't know if we've been updating that. <laughs> uh, but you can look at it <laughs> for stuff. What else? Uh, we do do our Fantasy Summer box office. And uh, this is the weekend that we're recording that fucking Jurassic World blew everyone's minds. Like, I honestly think that John My now friend. could it actually be Jeff who had not only a sort of a questionable card other than other than Avengers, but also picked Jurassic World. Holy so, shit. What? I just looked up what Jurassic World is. We yes. Estimate. Yes. Oh, my God. So the... <laughs> It's 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 so strange because not only did Jeff have not a great card, he had to pick a late because he had picked Pan for money making picks, um, but he also picked Jurassic World as his bomb pick. Which, so now Jeff, who had first pick and picked Age of Ultron, now has a questionable trajectory uh, oh, for the rest of this summer. Level of hubris. Yeah, this, this is. is so- this is so weird. So Jurassic Park made over $200 million uh, this weekend, which uh, is a ton. And I, honestly, I'm blown away. When I heard estimates... It sounds estimates, Yeah, because it sounds terrible. I'm fascinated by it. I, I, am, I am probably going to see it at some point. But man, it sounds terrible. And I just didn't think the appetite was there. Yeah. And people are just... Just watch the just first one. Just flocking. Yeah, people are flocking to this thing. Because the the other Jurassic Park sequels were n- not as great, and this one seemed even less than those. So I I didn't I wasn't expecting this. But credit to John who uh, picked it first, and now has made more points than an Avengers pick, which mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. So we'll keep you updated on yeah. how that goes. I'm I sure there'll be a lot win. of trash. I know I'm not gonna win. But Pitch Perfect th- actually did really well. So eh. you did really well, yeah. Because Pitch Perfect, <laughs> the, when we uh, 
before going into that weekend, I was like, Mad Max and Pitch Perfect 2 are going to make the same amount of money. And I was like, okay, I know I'm not going to win, but I want a respectable card, and that is on track for a respectable card. And that did not happen. Like, uh, Pitch Perfect made like 70 or something, and Mad Max made 30. And that was bad. But Mad Max is continuing to make more money, which is good because it's a great movie. Um, but it's going on word of mouth, so... That's great, and yeah. we almost, we came very close to doing a Mad Max episode, you and I, because, uh, Sorry, God. we went out for a drink after, because we so, still have to talk about it, my friend and I. No, God, it was so fucking glorious. I love that movie so much. Can I just uh, say, it, I went with a friend who knew, like, absolutely nothing about it. I knew a little bit too much about it, because I, I didn't see it for, like, a week, and, and I had been pumped about it, so I kept watching the trailer, so I, I knew yeah. a lot. Um, she knew nothing, and so when the Doof Warrior shows up, and he's shredding, she's already, like, clapping like a happy hobbit, and, like, <laughs> laughing. It's crazy. I'm like, wait for it. And then, right. boom! And she just lost it. Uh, yeah. So. Well, I I had an opposite experience where I brought Alex and she knew nothing about it and that happened and she I looked over to her and she was looking at me and she was like, "What in God's name <laughs> did you bring me to?" And she likes Snowpiercer, which I feel like is very. She similar. loves Snowpiercer. She did. This is definitely the Snowpiercer of this, this year. This is the hot version of Snowpiercer. Yes, yes, and by the end, like on the way home, we were discussing it and she actually. Liked Mad Max quite a bit, so but the um, Doof Warrior. Is yeah, like, like early on, fuck? early on in the movie, like I was distracted by my guilt for for convincing oh, no. my girlfriend to to uh, to go to this movie because I didn't know what it was going to be. But by the end, we were both like, "Wow, that was great!" So yeah. it worked out. It worked out. <laughs> so, but uh, God, before we launch into another hour on Mad Max, let's uh, <laughs> let's wrap it up. And I I don't know how to end. Hannibal quotes. I use the only one. I know, at the beginning, so... Eat the root. I went to Drunk Vocab. Oh, yeah, what is this? Because I saw your, your like, Instagram or something, and it kind of looked awesome. Okay, I want to talk about my awesome semi-victory. Um, basically, okay. like, there's a written, there's a written portion um, where they just give you 15 words, and you write in what you think the definition is. And then they picked like 15 people to go to the next round. And I made it through the next round on pure style alone because I just started fucking around. Apparently Bilbo is an actual word, uh, but I just wrote in Hobbit. <laughs> wow. I don't know. Um, but then like you pick a word out of a fishbowl and then you have to define it. I, I made it to the third round of that. Um, and the first two words, I forget what they were, but I kind of knew what the definition was. Um, so many of these words, like I either didn't know them or they were words that I could use in a sentence, but I couldn't define it. Like hackneyed. Define hackneyed. Yeah. Hackneyed is, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I know what it means. Yeah. All right. Okay. Understood. And it's drunk vocab because we're all drinking. I mean, yeah. How does, how does that work? Like, oh, it was at a coffee shop. So okay, they and were selling wine and beer. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. So it's That's not it. like a requirement that you drink. No. I okay. mean, they okay. probably appreciate you spending money there, but you could um, right. get a coffee or whatever. So yeah, and so between rounds, I you know started chatting with you know the locals and stuff. So that was lovely too. But my last round, the word I picked out of the fishbowl was lutrine. Never seen this. Wo- I've never seen this word in my life. Okay. And so, <laughs> so I just said. It is an outhouse you only use during the full moon. (laughs) 
That's good. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's was, a good fake definition. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were faking it. Like, let's be real. Right. And so I didn't make it to the final round, which I'm sort of grateful for. I was like, please don't pick me. I don't want to do this. Because it was kind of like a sudden death round. So I didn't. But then uh, it's hosted by a local coffee shop and local bookstore and a few other people. Mm-hmm. And the lady from the bookstore came up to me later and gave me a book because she appreciated my most wrong answer. <laughs> this is serious business. Hardly anyone. Oh, baby, you tried.